This podcast is shareable. Shareable is the podcast fueled entirely by curiosity. Every episode features exciting guests who share valuable advice and insights, how-to guides, and practical takeaways. Join me as I explore the awe-inspiring stories about overcoming the odds, the secret formulas that gave each guest their unique superpower, and the moments that remind us of our shared humanity. Get ready to be excited, delighted, and possibly even astonished, because this podcast is shareable. What would you get if you were to put a McKinsey consultant, a slightly unorthodox pastor, and an entrepreneur into a blender? I mean, not like literally, obviously, but you would get today's guest, Richard Medcalf. He's the founder of Quadrant or X Quadrant. I'm not sure if I'm saying it correctly, uh, but it, he is a trusted advisor to exceptional CEOs and entrepreneurs and their leadership teams. Uh, he recently wrote a book called Making Time for Strategy. And today we're going to do a masterclass episode exploring how to radically change your thinking and path to leadership impact. By the end of this episode, you will have some of the practical tools you need to move away from incremental progress and closer to breakthrough results. Richard, welcome to the Shareable Masterclass. Hey, Jeff, it's uh, great to be here. Looking forward to doing this and uh, to see what you got to throw at me today. Excellent. I am super jazzed to go through this with you. I want you to know I did the assessment uh, on your website uh, just before we jumped on today. I encourage everybody listening to this episode, if you are interested by the end of this episode to learn more, definitely go take the uh, the assessment. It's fast. I literally did it in about five to eight minutes. Um, and I got my score. It's a 64, by the way, a 60, or it's the, um, the slightly it's in like the mildly zone. Um, and, uh, and apparently I have to focus on tactics. So we, uh, when we're off of this, we can talk more about that, but, um, <laughs> okay. today I wanted to just, uh, start out with a little introduction about you. What's your background and experience in this whole area of breakthrough results, leadership impact, Kind of what inspired you to get mm. into this? What's your background in it? And kind of talk us through how yeah. we, we kind of arrived here talking to each other today. Absolutely, sure. So I always say at this point, stop me if I get too boring because talking about myself is my favorite subject, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, luckily on Shareable, uh, you talking about yourself is the entire point of it uh, as well oh, as there we are. So, so free to We're just go, to go on to it. Let's do it. Well, so I'll tell you the outside story. I'll tell you the inside story. So the outside story you can go on and see on LinkedIn or whatever, right? So I, I'm a Brit. Um, I I studied at Oxford University. I went into strategy consulting. Became the youngest ever partner there. I joined Cisco Systems. Um, so you got to fly long haul to uh, to uh, San Francisco more time in economy more times than I can <laughs> care to remember uh, for about ten years. And then I kind of got to a stage where I was like, you know what, what's the real impact I want to make in the world? And I decided it wasn't just helping AT&T increase their EBITDA margin by 0.1% or something, right? I mean, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with financial results. It's great, right? It fuels lots of things. But for me, that's something else. And so that set me on the path to founding my own business, which is uh, called X Quadrant. Um, Thank you. There we go. Uh, I was wondering um, if it, it had a Z at the beginning, like Zwadrant, yeah, but it, I, I yeah, wasn't it could, quite yeah. sure. Yeah. Perhaps if, if, if you're in a Slavic country or something, I don't know, yeah, you know for some part of the world. Yeah, that could yeah. be good. So yeah, it's just X Quadrant. Um, and um, and I, what I came to realize was that what I really wanted to do was to 
uh, and what I've got a gift out, I think, is to really help top leaders who are already extremely successful reinvent the very success formula that's made them successful in order to have a huge positive impact in the world. What I call breakthrough goals. You know, how do you uh, how do you really get to another order of magnitude about what you're doing? And um, I think the reason this is so important to me, it's the inner story. Um, my sister, you might see, I don't know if you can see her on the video, just, she's just over here, she's a picture mm -hmm. of her. She was, uh, she, she passed away last year, um, but she was mentally, severely, severely mentally disabled. So I had this kind of high-flying career and moved to France in the meantime, and I had a family and, you know, all this stuff. And my sister, she stayed at home, she needed 24-hour care, she couldn't speak. Um, she had epilepsy, she had autism, she had, I mean, just so much stuff. Um, she had physical issues after a while. So as my father used to say, like, I've had two kids and they're at like both ends of the spectrum is, you know, like you can imagine a bigger gap is how he, he saw it. And yet she was deeply inspirational to me uh, for many, many ways we could perhaps get into. But um, I think that really left me with this idea of, you know what, if we have the abilities, and the opportunities and and the talents and the relationships and resources and everything else like let's make an impact right let's change the world in some way um i remember when i was a student thinking I, well the worst thing to have on my grave would be you know my tombstone would be uh yeah he was comfortable just sounds so terrible and i i didn't realize i'm honest you know i got to you know middle age and i was like ah, being quite comfortable here how do i really make the impact that i want to make um, and my mother uh, passed away at 59, uh, and she had a big impact because she actually ran the charity to do with my sister's condition in the UK for many years. And so when she died uh, quite so early, she had, there was a huge letters coming in, thousands of letters pouring into our home from people that she'd really impacted. So it made me realise the time is now as well, right? Let's not wait to our retirement to give back or to make a difference, because it might not even come. It didn't come for my mother. <laughs> So I suppose that's the inner story of why I do what I do. And so I suppose what I've done is I've taken strategy consulting, um, my deep passion about personal transformation, uh, this sense of purpose and impact that I've had, you know, my, my professional career in, in executive roles and kind of bundled all that together. And um, that's what I do what I do. I love it. I love it. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show when I looked into um, sort of your background and the things that you're doing. I didn't know this story, but um, it I sensed that we had similar ambitions to make our lives mean something, to make an impact. And both were probably driven by something slightly traumatic that that causes you to believe that there's a bit of a race against the clock to make sure that your life means something, that there's something driving mm. us there. My thing is superheroes and making sure mm. that, you know, we, we use our powers for good. I heard you, you know, as you were saying it all, I heard in my head was with, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. Yeah. So, uh, so you and I are very much on the same page there. So today in our masterclass, I want to go through this idea of how do we take people from one point A to point B and point B being, uh, being the leader that's capable of making that impact. So mm. if you were to think about the people listening right now to this masterclass or watching it, um, what would you say you want their goals to be in terms, or or what do you want their takeaway to be? What is your goal in giving this masterclass to them? Mm. In what ways do you really see yourself being able to give them the tools to inspire? What are you enabling for them? What do you want them to gain from it? Yeah, so I think today because this is a huge journey, right? This idea of what I call multiplying your impact. You might see I've got a podcast called Impact Multiplier CEO, because I'm really fascinated at all these CEOs and founders who do go on this exponential journey. And that's what I love helping my clients with. 
But that's the big story. So what I think it'd be great to do today is to focus down on really the subject of my book, which is making time for strategy. Because what I find was this, is that whenever I started speaking with one of my clients, no matter whether they were running a billion dollar company or a high growth startup or a small business or medium sized enterprise, whatever it is, uh, or whether even whether at mid-level in one of my group programs, and we started talking about how, you know, what would it be to have a huge inspiring goal that even feels impossible, but you'd be amazing if you could do it. Very early in those conversations, people go, you know, Richard, but I can't even get to that because I'm so overloaded. And actually, if I'm going to increase my impact, the first thing I need to do is let go of some of this low-level operational stuff that I'm doing that I'm completely overwhelmed by. Uh, find some time to think even. I don't even have time to think. And I realize this is such a huge thing for so many of us. And, you know, I mean, myself, I have a little snail. I don't know whether you can see it here, uh, a little snail, a pewter snail. I live in France, so snails are good in France, right? But uh, it reminds me to slow down to speed up. And it's- I love that expression. My business coach told me the same thing one day. He said, you have to slow down to use your speed. And I was like, that is so like- counterintuitive, but it makes so much sense because like you, my, my background is in strategy. And I've, I've found that, that when I stop and I do it right in the beginning and I think, and I plan out where I'm going, it can move so much faster. It's like hitting a yeah. straightaway. Yeah. It's yeah. And, um, if you take a race car around a racing track, one of the things they'll tell you is, uh, is go slow to go smooth and go smooth to go fast. So it's the mm -hmm. same thing. It's like when we actually slow our thinking down, create space, then we, we suddenly think, ah, that call to that one person, that would change everything. Or, you know what, this stuff over here, this is not moving me forward anymore. Or, ah, here's an idea. Why don't I do that? It is these things that create the opportunity. We can get more into that. In fact- Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. You brought up a few things that I thought were really very, I, for me at least, found to be very relatable examples of the kind of, yeah, I would love to do that, but when I look at my calendar, there's just there's just no room there. Or I'd really love mm -hmm. to do that, but I have so many other responsibilities, or I have kids, or I have this, or which to me is very relatable and feels very real world. I'm curious if you can kind of um, illustrate a little bit more of sort of what are the kind of key concepts as mm -hmm. well as the misconceptions that you think people go into the idea of making time for strategy or leveraging going slow to go fast, leveraging strategy to make their impact. What are the sort of key concepts that you think people often mm. overlook or the misconceptions they may have about that way of thinking? Yeah. So first thing to say is strategy is not corporate strategy, right? It might be, yeah. that's your role. But for me, when I say making time for strategy, it's making time for the strategic, the things that are going to move the needle, right? It's We have operations, which for me is incremental. And then the strategy is, how do we get that exponential, the, the breakthrough goals? So when I say making time for strategy, you know, no matter whether you're running an organization or you've got you're an individual contributor or you're a solopreneur or whatever, you can still make time for your strategy, right? To figure out what's important. Um, the, 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 another key concept is what I call the infinity trap. The infinity trap is that we live in a world of infinity. Uh, these days, we've got infinite content to consume in all the different channels, podcasts, blogs, books, movies, you know, music. It's all there, right? Available nonstop. Uh, infinite communications. Yeah, every time we send an email, we get two back. Every time we get a message coming in, you know, it just never stops. Um, and infinite conversations on, on social media and all the other ways that we can communicate. And so 
so we're really in this world where the inflow and demands on our time never stops. And it gets even worse as you rise up an organization because you get even more people wanting to put you into things. And uh, and so the reality is, if it is infinite, which I believe it is, we can't beat it through productivity tips. So a lot of people, they, they've tried that, they've read the books, they've tried to get their to-do list, but they've just got a huge to-do list, right? And um, then they try to prioritize and prioritizing is good, but like you still have to do, you still have to fulfill your commitment somehow. So like buying socks is never a top priority, but you do need to buy socks. Otherwise you're going to not wear, have any socks, right? You're yeah, not unless you to... run out of socks, of course, then it, be, it yeah. leads to the top of the priority well, channel. Yeah. yeah. So, so my point is that you have a whole series of kind of uh, things that do have a demand on your time and you can kind of move things, things to the front of the queue. But, but the fundamental question is, have you got, are your expectations of what you can deliver greater than the resources in terms of your time and attention? And normally for most people, it is, I call it the um, trapezoid of death where they're like the, you have a long side of the, of all the expectations. And then, a, then it goes in and at the bottom, you've got this tiny light amount of resources that you're trying to try to hold all these things together with. So they're just out of balance. Are you, um, do you think then that there's actually a, a point at which, I guess it feels like Camelot to me. Like it feels like the promised land of this idea where it's no longer a trapezoid, where it's maybe a square or maybe you mm. invert the trapezoid. Because to mm. me, I mean, I can say at least just speaking in my own world of things, I have so many ideas and I have so many projects I want to work on. And then I also still also have friends and I have family and I have, you know, mm. buying socks and the things you mentioned. Um, is is making time for strategy conceptually the book, the things you talk about in the mm. book and strategy more kind of broadly as a way of being a way of thinking, a way of organizing your life and time. Do you believe that in this infinite world that we're existing in where there's so many options, so many things you could do that aside from productivity tips, there is a way to balance it, to, to put it back in order. Yeah. So I think, you're right. Infinity will still be there. So we, it, it's, we're still going to be swimming in that. So, but I think there is an inner model where, you know, can we operate at, with poise and grace in that world of infinity? Yes. Um, so can we take ownership, right? We, you know, we know the concept of victimhood versus ownership, right? And, and most people don't realize, even really strong leaders, they don't realize they fall into victimhood when it comes to the question of time. They say, I don't have enough time. I've got the time. I don't have the time. As if, like, oh, poor me, I didn't have the time, right? So it's a very different shift when we say, yeah, that's not what I chose to focus, focus my time on, right? That's not that's not one of my breakthrough projects at the moment or whatever. That's not a goal. So I think, I think it's an internal shift, right? So uh, in the book, as you've seen, I said that there's really four challenges that we we need to kind of solve pragmatically as a leader if we're going to do this. And it really does exist. It's like there are leaders who are completely overwhelmed, many of them, and they're burning the candle at both ends. They're up early. They're going late. They they never have enough time. And yet they still don't feel they're making progress. I mean, want to see it so often. They still feel they're just getting through all the noise and they still haven't got time to work on the really important things they know they should be doing. And yet there are leaders who don't necessarily have bigger organizations or anything different, but they have got this poise and they're, they're even got making time for serendipity and, and other things. Uh, and, and I think that it is possible, but you've got to address these four factors. And the assessment that you mentioned, Jeff, as you know, that goes through and tries to give you an assessment of 
where is the critical dependency? What's the first thing you need to focus on? Because if you focus on the wrong thing at the wrong time, um, then it's not going to move the needle for you and you're going to get frustrated because you're super busy and you haven't got time for this stuff. Okay, so uh, are you willing to go through those four factors uh, on this masterclass? Sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, I would. I think it would be really useful for us to to outline what those four are to begin with. So just at first, let's say, what are the four yeah. factors? And then I think it would be helpful if we could kind of go through those and talk kind of fundamentally about like what what do these things represent and and yeah. what what how do they represent leverage points in your ability, like in terms of what you focus on? How do they represent leverage points to make that? get you closer to making that impact and changing your thinking, things like that. So can we start just by, let's go through those four, if you would. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the four are tactics, influence, mindset, and environment. And I was very happy when I realized they spelled the word time, obviously. Uh, so tactics, influence, mindset, environment. And uh, I think together, these things cover um, the inner game, the outer game, the world of kind of thinking differently and the world of acting differently. First thing that jumps to mind, and, and I just want to, um, uh, I want to understand the, these are all things that are in the context of what we're talking about. They seem to be very much within reach and controllable to a certain extent. How, before we go too deep into exploring each of those, how much does sort of superstructure factor into this? Meaning the environment that someone is in? Like, are these tips as equally applicable to someone who is working in a VP role as someone who is working in, let's say, a minimum wage job that's trying to move into the next stage of their career and get out of a struggle or that, you know, maybe be trapped in right. student debt or something like that? Like, so I, I want to understand if this is mm. sort of a framework for life or if this is a framework for professional development that kicks in at mm. a certain stage. Or So if you could kind of first address where yeah. this uh, framework is, I guess, in, uh, included entirely and where maybe it's best suited for the people listening. Like if mm. you're in this position, this is this is something that's going to take you to the next level. If you're in this position, it can help, but you may first need to address some of the other external factors. Right. That's a great point. So if you think about this as creating time to, um, actually, let me take a step back. Imagine that you're a, imagine that you're a business and uh, you're making no profit. So you spend, you're making money and you're spending money. Okay. Uh, or even an, to be honest, you can work for an individual, but let's go for a business, right? Making money, they're spending money. They've got zero profit. And so they've got zero, no margin to invest in future growth. No money to invest in future possibilities uh, in new factories or shops or products or marketing or any of this stuff, right? Or buying companies or employing new people. So they're just going to be bumping along really really hard to grow it's going to be tiny tiny growth because they can barely afford to do it and it's incredibly fragile you get a shock to the system and it's all going to fall apart most of us that's how we live our lives okay that's we live our lives is that, that those individuals where we're using all our time we just have our time and we spend all the time that we have and we have no margin to invest in our future and so really making time for strategy, that's what I'm really talking about. I call it strategic time. It's the time that we have that we that today that we can invest in to make tomorrow better. And so you can see that can apply to all of us at any stage. Now, clearly, I built this in my role as coaching CEOs and founders and entrepreneurs and really senior leaders, uh, as well as more junior managers. But I think it's also the way I try to live my life, you know, and I think it is therefore applicable to anybody if we're at a stage where we haven't got time to think 
then we need to create this strategic time. In fact, I say strategic time, it's your number one predictor of future success because back to that business, if you have no margin, you can't invest it, your future is not going to be great. Whereas if you've got a little bit of time now and you can think about what you want to do with it, find the high value task, invest that, and you're going to get a payoff. Um, and then perhaps you, you create even more time because you've perhaps saved some time with whatever you were focused on. So yeah, strategic one, time for one me thing is that the kind key. Of, sorry, I was going to say one thing that's jumping out to me about that is it would seem to me that the method is potentially universally applicable, but mm. that similar to starting up a business, as an example, if you have zero funding to begin with, it's a lot mm. different than if you already have significant, say, VC funding in the bank, right? So in the same right. way, if you're operating at an extreme deficit of time to be able to reinvest that time mm. more, um, more deliberately choose where you want to spend that time strategically and, and to, to like make leverage points and bigger gains, it may the results may be slower in the beginning, but as you sort of build up more of that future time um, in the, like when, when you make decisions in the present that benefit you in the future, it would seem that those would begin to have a cascading effect of, of growth. So I, I'm just going to say for the, the sake of this conversation, we should probably let's limit it to a particular audience and let's talk to yeah. the people that you most coach, right? We're talking yeah. business owners, entrepreneurs, CEOs. Let's look at how these four yeah. factors of time uh, all play out. So can you take us through what, when you say tactics, I think first there's a misconception of what tactics are. So um, as you talk about tactics, mm. can, you, can you explain exactly what you mean by that? And what, what sort of way should people be thinking about approaching the, the T in time? Yeah. So tactics. So I think there is a tactical challenge, uh, even though I said most people have overdone the productivity tips in some way, or they've over geeked out on that at the expense of the other parts. But the tactics, I think for me, they're in two parts. Part of it is you need a plan to correct the deficit. It's like, again, if you're a business that's losing money, uh, you need to like do some cost cutting so that you quickly make the business profitable and sustainable. And so I like to say to people, let's create a bold plan. Uh, that's what I go through in the book. Like, what's the bold plan to really free up a significant amount of time so you could refocus that on your high value activities? Um, the second part of it is what are your ongoing workflows, right? So how do you actually maintain your focus on what's truly important? So that's the other part of the, 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 the tactical challenge. So this is kind of one-off, kind of almost going on a diet, right? And, 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 and eliminating the things which are not really serving you at this point. And then there might be some tuning up of some of the systems uh, that you have, perhaps the way that you accept meetings. You know, do you actually give real thought or do you kind of just accept whatever appears on your diary? Um, you know, how do you deal with email and messaging? Are you ever, ever kind of just scanning through your inbox looking for whatever message am I going to do next? Or do you have a bit of a workflow that keeps you focused and keeps you out of the the um, out of your inbox? As I like to say, no great business was ever built in the post room, right? So we shouldn't be in the inbox that often. Got it. Um, so those would be the two main areas, I would say, of tactics. There's probably a meta area, which we haven't talked about, which is almost a deal within the book before the whole time area, which is yeah. to get really clear about what you want to do when you have that strategic time. Such a good point. Like, how can you actually apply the tactics, the influence, um, the, what was the M? The M is mindset. Mindset, right. And then the environment. If you don't know where you're going, none of that stuff's actually going to make much sense. So you have to kind of figure out to your point when we started with is we're talking about making impact kind of have to figure out what's the impact you want to make and what would you do if you had that time. So I appreciate yeah. that that's a good call out as a as sort of a meta concept. 
Well, here's, here's a pretty practical uh, approach. Uh, take your phone, set a three or four minute timer, and then just press go, and then just start writing as many questions as you can think of. As if I had to, if I had an hour free, you're like, what questions would be really important for me to explore or, or get an answer to? And you might start to write down, you know, how's AI going to change my industry in the next three years? Or how can I use it with my team? Or um, who in my team needs the most development right now? Or how can I be a better leader to my team? Or how do I get a meeting with the CEO or my top customer? Or what would it take to 10x our deal size? Or you get the idea. You can just, you know, what books do I want to read next? Whatever it is, just brainstorm as many questions, big and small, as you can think of in about three minutes. What I find with my clients when I do it with them is that they... When I come back off mute or whatever, or I, I come back into the room, they're like, "Whoa, go away, Richard!" I'm like, "I'm in the, I'm in flow here. This is amazing." And you find in three or four or five minutes, you build a strategic agenda. You have to use all those questions, but there are things there which are gold, and you go, "Wow!" If I was working on these questions, that would be a different level of leadership from yeah. all this old stuff. I, I give it. an example. I give an example of yeah, what. I was working with one of my clients. He's a really senior. He's built like a unicorn tech business, uh, amazing business, a thousand people. It's, you know, it's going really fast. He's raised 500 million of my $500 million of funding in his last round, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I was having lunch with him. He's a quite good client. And uh, I was asking him what he was up to. And he was telling me, and he was, it sounded, he was getting back. So we'd stopped working for a couple of months over the summer. It sounded like he had been sucked back in to operational stuff. It wasn't something very exciting. And then he happened to mention that he read Bill Gates's book and he's in the kind of climate space, environmental space. And he said, I love that would be an interesting book and some really good points. And I stopped it and said, do you know Bill Gates? He said, no, no, I don't know Bill Gates. I said, no, oh, I think you should know Bill Gates. Why don't you go and have lunch with Bill Gates? I'm sure you could, you know, you're a heavy hitter in this spec sector in Europe. You know, you go and have lunch with Bill Gates. I'm sure you can make it happen. And he stopped him and yeah, yeah, I could make that. I could make that happen. Yeah, definitely. And I'm like, how many people do I know who know they can get lunch with Bill Gates? Yeah, that's like, wild. I was like, if you were to do that, think of like what possibilities might emerge from that conversation, relationships, joint ventures, initiatives, ways you can contribute, ways you can fulfill your mission. And it was like, wow. Oh, yeah. And that would be a lot more fun than this boring operational meeting I'm about to go into after lunch. Yeah. <laughs> right? I got to so, say, as, as a coach, it's good that you picked up on that energy that, that you you kind of noticed in him that there's a difference between mm. the, you know, the just the listing off of the operational stuff versus the thing that he seemed to kind of light up about. So it's 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 really, um, you know, uh, watchful of you to like see that thread and pull on it and and try to make that sort of thing happen. Well, here's the secret, you see. Nobody can free up time um, from operations because it just, it's infinite. It never it stops. Back it just, yeah, it you, you empty your inbox, it comes back in. Yeah. Uh, so you, you clean out your task list, it comes back in. So when people say, Richard, I'll, we'll get to you, you know, we'll, we'll do whatever, we'll do some project, whatever, once I've kind of got through this busy period or get quiet to next quarter, or I need to just, you know, free myself up. It never happens. Well, even Instead, then when it does sometimes when, when you, so I freed myself up and now you're like, oh crap, everything's real quiet. I, I can't talk to you now because I have to get more business in or something. Right. So it's yeah, like there's the two generate, ends of the spectrum, right? That's right. But, but what I'd like to say is actually you, um, the way you, what you can do is instead of freeing yourself up from operations, you can free yourself up for more important things. So uh, I had a 
client again. He said he became a delegation master overnight. I said, how did that happen? He said, well, my wife was seriously ill. She went into hospital. I dropped everything, went to be with her. Yes. All the excuses went away. They, my team picked it up. It was amazing. So the point is we have to have that high value. If you suddenly go, wow, yeah, I want to I make that thing happen with Bill Gates. Suddenly, yeah, I can delegate this operational meeting because i got a higher value activity I want to focus on. I really so like you... that example. That's a really good one about um, the, the wife being really ill because I, I recently had something come up where I was similar sort of thing, just got pulled out of the office. And I have trouble mm. delegating, uh, not because I don't trust, but often because uh, I just I just am scattered and I don't think to delegate something. But I found myself in a similar situation where it was like, things had to get done. I wasn't going to be there. So I had to let people know what to work on. I think it's a really interesting idea for an exercise. You may or may not already be doing this, but if you don't, mm. you probably should. But kind of running fire drills of like, just imagine if these next five days, you literally can't do a thing. Delegate mm. everything you possibly can and see what that does for people. That is such a good example. It really resonated with me. Yeah, yeah. So, so exactly. So I think for me is if you're feeling resistance with this whole idea, I can't do it, but you need all this stuff. Then first of all, get clear on what would be really exciting, important things to work on that would represent your next level of leadership focus. And then once you've got that, you might not change overnight, but you'll be starting to think about, yeah, I need to get to these things. And uh, the clearer you get, on those questions that you want to address or those projects that you want to work on, the easier it becomes to start to say no to the other stuff. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so we've covered then, we we dropped into tactics, but then we kind of took a step back and took a look at the, the mm, meta picture bit. of things of the bold plan. I really like the, the ideas of asking the questions. I do a lot of mind mapping as a really uh, good exercise mm. for doing that. Uh, so I'd strongly recommend that. And then we just kind of uncovered this idea of uh, maybe running like a little fire drill for yourself, trying to think what you can get off your plate so that you can free up that mental space. So we've we uh, touched on tactics. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say about it, but if not, I, I'd like to move into influence and kind of understand what you mean by that mm. and how that factors into this mm. overall uh, objective of of leadership mm. and making impact. Yeah, yeah. Let's focus on influence. I think tactics. There is tons we can say, you know, and in the book it goes from like, you know, how you build your, what I call your crash plan as like how you're going to free up time all the way into workflows and even really tactical nitty gritty templates and all the rest of it. But I think influence is important because it does get a bit overlooked. In fact, when I do a, when I've done a survey to find out what people felt was the most important thing to work on, influence was like the down there, it was the least rated, but I think that's a mistake. Do you have, do you um, have a, a theory on why that is? Cause I, I do. Uh, I think people don't see that it applies. I don't think they, they see that their problem is an influence problem. They they see it as back to workflows and, and tactics and, and too much work coming in. What's, what's your view? My my theory on this is that of the of the four, that is what would feel to most people the least controllable. So tactics, it seems like you can make a plan for that. And if you told someone what to do about all of these different things mm. and let them see it, it's a thing that you could tangibly do, right? Okay, mm. let's skip influence for a second and go to mindset. Uh, mindset is something that if you were to just take it out of the context of your book and just talk about mindset, broadly speaking, people understand the idea of mm. a shift in mindset. You want to quit smoking, you want to eat better, and you think about mindset, it's something we're all very, very familiar with. And we all have minds mm. and we all have a mindset. So we all feel to a certain extent that we are capable of shifting our mindset in one way mm. or another. And then environment feels also very tangible. I have, my desk is very messy. I need to keep it clean. Or I, you know, this, that, or the other thing, or I don't spend enough time outside of the office taking walks, whatever. 
So those are all very within reach, I think, for almost all people. We all deal with it right. everywhere. Yeah. But influence has mm. a character where people think you either have it or you don't. You're either right. someone who's charismatic and influential or you're not. And mm. some people think, I just don't have the skills. Maybe you have a very flat affect, right? And the way you always talk is just very much like this. And there's not a lot of inflection with your voice. And people might think to themselves, how am I going to be influential with that sort of mm. a voice, right? right? Or maybe you don't have a big vocabulary or any number of reasons. Mm. I think that people may not undervalue because they don't think it's important, but maybe they don't think it's within reach. Mm, interesting. That's yeah, my theory. Yeah. I could yeah, be wrong. Interesting that's my theory. theory. Yeah. Well, let's get into what it is. So, influence is really the leadership challenge here. Again, I'm working with leaders. I'm often coaching them deeply, and, and we're, we're trying to address these things. And you can have all the plan in the world, all the plans, um, but if you don't actually renegotiate your agreements up, across, down in the organization. It's not going to happen. As I like to say, if you want to go on a diet, the biggest saboteurs normally are your own family because they want to eat the chocolate cake and they're going to wave it under your nose because they're feeling guilty when you say no, or they're going to give you the glass of wine that you don't want to have or whatever, right? Because yeah. your shift in behavior impacts them in some way. And even more in the organizational setup, right? If you suddenly say, hey, you know what? I'm delegating this task. You know, basically you've got to make sure A, that you're, your boss is happy with you not doing it anymore. Or even if you just say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I've got more important things. Again, you need to make sure that perhaps your peer in another part of the organization kind of understands why and is okay with that and is not going to you know, escalate in a dramatic way. Uh, again, if you want to delegate to your team, you need to make sure your team is, understands why and, and are ready to accept that. Or if you want your team to perhaps come to you with fewer lower level issues, you're going to need to shift how they operate. So this is a leadership challenge, right? It, we, we can't implement our plans to become more uh, focused and strategic until we've actually uh, got the people around us basically on our side. Because otherwise, it's always going to be pulling us back to the configuration that we find ourselves in at the moment. How would you, um, and I'm sure you cover a multitude of different ways that this plays out in the book, but... For the sake of this episode, what are a couple of the ways that you kind of think of as starting points to begin to address your level or capability of influence? Like, are there things that you can do very um, tangibly? Is this more of a, a concept thing? Does this over hmm. does this overlap with mindset? For instance, is this about communication tactics? This is about what? How do you go about hmm. approaching the concept of influence? Because it's a big one, right? Like, there's yeah. Robert Cialdini's yeah, book huge. Influence. There's an entire book about the concepts yeah. of influence, the weapons of influence. And there's plenty of books been written about it. How do you approach it in your book um, as a function of hmm. the, what we're talking about here? I, I think obviously as much you can say as you as you said, but I think in this terms, we don't need to overthink it. Actually, um, so the first thing you need to understand what are the conversations that you need to have so you've figured out your action plan then you need to think well who gets impacted by this who might you know who do i need to talk to and it's probably a few key people and there's probably a couple of things you need to deal with each person if you're making a few big shifts um and then you, the, the question is okay how am i going to go and have that discussion and gain an agreement from them at the end of the day all we're really looking for is hey um let's imagine that you decide really simple thing like um, you want to focus on your number one project uh, on a Monday morning from nine till 11, right? And not be disturbed. That's like your focus time. That's where you're going to move forward your strategic project, right? That's say they say that. Okay, so, well, you have to let your team know I'm not available at that time. 
And that's actually quite simple. Probably with your team, you just have to, you can just tell them, I'm not available, right? Uh, you know, you message me before or after, but in that time, I'm not available. Fairly straightforward. Now, perhaps your manager might be a different question. Your manager, you know, he might say, hang on, uh, no, 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 I need I need you to be available in a business hour. I, I need you, you know, if something happens, I don't want to be waiting around for two, three hours waiting for you to kind of come out of your your uh, your Zen, you know, unplugged zone. I need to come to contact you, right? So he might be, not be happy. At that point, you need to say, well, okay, well, um, a few things, right? The first thing is, have you actually framed this in terms of the benefit to him or her? Have you actually said, look, you know, what what I want to do is really focus in on this big project that that I'm on the hook for that you want me to deliver, right? Because we know how much impact that is going to make. And right now I'm not getting to it. I'm being pulled in a million directions. I never have focus time. So you can explain and sell the idea and why it's going to benefit them. And then if, if they might push back, it's fine. You get curious rather than just insisting, you get curious. Okay, well, what's your needs here? What, you know, what's, because obviously I'm sure you want me to do this key project because we've agreed how important it is, but you you know, there's some resistance about this time. Is it the wrong time? Is it like that's the key meeting you have with the CEO? So you need to better call me, in which case I'll do it on Monday afternoon. You could perhaps move it. Or you might say, you know what? Um, how about if you really need to contact me, then give me a call on my phone. I'll put you on my VIP list. If you called, it will ring and I would answer. But if you send me a Slack message like you normally do, uh, then it will just it'll just wait for me yeah. for one hour or so. So it's a simple thing. It doesn't require you to have to do grand oratory, right? It's about getting curious about what's, what do they need? Why are they perhaps resisting something that you're proposing? Um, perhaps explaining the common goal that you're working towards and why this is helpful. And then, you know, find out what would be something which you can both live with. I love this because um, in my book, I, I cover some of these concepts uh, in, in some of the conversation frameworks and things that I recommend. And what I really like there is you're, you're advising people. One, I like, especially going back to my theory that influence is probably, um, uh, uh, deprioritized by people because it feels less within reach. I think you're also doing a, a real service to people by saying, look, this doesn't have to be a big thing. Like you don't have to become a master of influence to be more influential. So I like one that you've made it within reach. Uh, but two, I also really appreciate the advice of speaking to somebody else's goals and talking about aligning your goals with their goals and making sure that you're not just coming to them with what you want, but also coming to them with what they want and finding a way to make those two things work together. So I really appreciate that you kind of tied those two things together. So I want to make sure we get time to go through the other two. Hmm. Uh, so let's let's get into mindset. Uh, talk to me about mindset. So we've covered the tactics part. Uh, kind of addressing things that are within reach, things about your calendar, the types of meetings you say yes and no to, influences about how to be able to potentially uh, implement those things and and the people that it affects and how you can make sure that you can start to implement some of these ideas that you want. Uh, let's go into the mindset and, and how that factors into this. Yeah, mindset is um, it's obviously so important because what we think is possible, necessary or desirable basically creates the frame in which we live. And so the real reason that we don't do the things we feel we should do is because there's something inside that's stopping us, that's, that's getting in our way. I'll give you an example. One of my clients got promoted to the C-suite of a huge global organization. Uh, and I was working with him on actually delivering these transformational projects that were gonna make a big impact. Uh, basically it's helping him, I wasn't helping him with the projects, but I was helping him by 
be the leader that launched these projects and made a big difference, right, as he came onto the C-suite. And it was all going really well. And then a couple of months into an engagement, he said, oh, Richard, I'm I'm realizing I'm getting bogged down again. I'm, I'm being dragged into my email. I'm spending too much time there. These projects, they're slowing down. I'm not giving them enough thought. I need a tip. Have you got some kind of tip for me about email? And I said, well, you're paying me way too much money for you to have a tip. You can just go and Google a tip, right? You don't need a tip from me. That's not what you need. Let's find out what you really need. And so he says, well, what do we do? I said, well, just tell me a bit more about why do you do this? Like, why are you doing your email? He said, well, you know, these people, they need me. Uh, you know, they've got things I, I need to be weighing in on. And I want to be like a reliable and trustworthy team player. Right? I don't want to be that guy who's all, people are always waiting for. They have to re remind just because I'm on the C-suite. I don't want to be that person who's like possible to, to you know, being a roadblock, basically. So I said, oh, okay, I can't help you. What do you mean you can't help me? Well, how can I help you? Because if I help you like not do your email, then you're going to be an unreliable, untrustworthy, not a team player. That's going to be completely against your values. She said, well, what are we going to do then? I said, well, tell me what your CEO wants. Oh, well, he wants me to do these transformational projects, right? It's my number one objective. What about the shareholders? Well, yeah, I mean, it's going to really drive the bottom line results. I'm sure they'd want me to do those as well. Okay, what about um, what about your team? Oh, yeah, they're so fed up with all our arcane, archaic processes. Need to, you know, terrible. You know, we need to, uh, yeah, they, they definitely want it. And what about customers? Well, it's an internal project, so they wouldn't really know. But I guess it will free up our team to work on customer work more, which is the whole point. So I guess they would want these projects too. So I said, okay, so what you're telling me is, sounds like you're getting paid the big bucks to deliver this transformational project, right? Your CEO, your shareholders, your team, your customers, everybody wants you to do these transformational projects. So let me put it to you that when you're in your inbox, doing just people pleasing, doing all these little, little things, you're actually being un unreliable, untrustworthy, and not a team player. Because you're not doing what everyone wants you to do. Yes. Only yes, you there, can do. There's a question in the book, The Coaching Habit, uh, that I, I'm not exactly sure if I'm going to give the exact words here, but if you say yes to this, what are you saying no to? And it's this mm. whole idea that we we can do anything, but we can't do everything. And I mm. like that what you're alluding to is that the how you answer that question or how you even come upon being needed to ask that, being needed to be asked that question is about your mindset. It's what you're mm. saying your role is, what you're supposed to be doing, what you're supposed to be going after, whose voices you're giving priority in your own mind. Uh, and that that's mm. kind of what creates the conditions for that mindset to even be asked the question of, well, you have to make a decision, which is it going to be? And, and and there are tons of these mindsets. I go through a few in the book. For example, I mean, one is another classic one. So people pleasing is a key one. Perfectionism is another one. I call it the high performing janitor, you know, because like you're breathing away, polishing that one tile, but there's a whole business to run. Um, but there's also things like hyper responsiveness, you know, where we feel we have to be super responsive. But I like to say, well, you know, if you were calling the, the president or your CEO or, you know, the, or the king or somebody like that, you wouldn't expect them to drop everything and just ask, respond to you. They're important people. They've got important projects. You know, you're an important person. You've got important stuff that you need to be getting done too. And so we've got to get into this habit sometimes that, or this mindset where we have to be responding all the time to everything, fear of missing out. But that just becomes noise, no signal. You see, you can't be strategic. So... So there's different mindset things, but you can see how they really govern. Like our understanding of who we are and the kind of person we are 
which is a construct a construct that we make up in our minds in many ways you know that is what fundamentally holds us back and that's why it's a deeper challenge right than just installing a new filter on your gmail yeah there's two things about that that i i just want to call out that i think are so important um the first of which is that this is applicable not just to strategy but i mean across anything if you're in sales if you're in a relationship your mindset is going to change how you frame yourself and how you approach different things. So I, I just, I really appreciate that. Um, and I forgot the second thing I was going to say, but there were, there were two very important things that came from it. And, um, and I forgot the second one, which will probably come back to me, but in the meantime, um, let's, let's, uh, close out by talking about the environment and how that mm. factors in, uh, with the mindset piece. Yeah. The so, rest of them. Yeah. So, Actually, the environment, you can look at it two ways, one of which there is obviously your physical environment, like your phone as well, your digital environment, your physical environment. I actually deal with that more in the tactics section, uh, setting up your environment to support your success. When I talk about environment here, I'm really talking a bit from a leadership perspective. So what I mean by that is setting the culture of your team, your organization, the work environment, the environment where all your employees or your team are working, because this is a book for leaders fundamentally. And so it's one thing to make ourselves super strategic and uh, have time to invest in the creative thinking that's gonna create the breakthroughs. But even what more if all our team could do that or our organization, As so often organizations are in busy work. They, are, uh, they don't have any time. So if they don't have any time, if they were busy chasing everything and getting distracted by all the, all the noise, then, First of all, can we even delegate anything to them? <laughs> Secondly, if we come up with this breakthrough project, will there be any capacity to do it? Um, and you know, and, and how is everybody else leveling up? And so I wanted to get really focused on, on that question as well. And it's obviously again a culture change or changing team culture is a big topic. So I don't I can't cover everything, but I wanted to give some practical ways to move the conversation forward and to help start to scale these ideas within a team. And perhaps the key thing to say there is. It has to be, basically what you're trying to do is shift the system. There's a story, I'm, I can't be 100% sure it's true, but I, um, but it's a good one anyway. So the story is that Howard Schultz, the CEO, the founder of Starbucks, went to a, a, a cafe um, and the bulb had blown in the signage. So it just said, said Tarbucks or something. And fact, you say, well, what, 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 what would you do in that situation, right? I mean, what did he do? Did he ask for a ladder and change it himself? Did he call the manager out in front of the staff and tell him that this is a terrible franchise and this is, you know, ruining the brand. You know, did he, uh, did he just sit there and not proceed with his meeting until the team had scurried around and fixed the bulb, right? What did he do? Well, the story goes that he just picked up his phone and rang his operations director and said, hey, Bob, we need a process for blown bulbs. And a brilliant move because you just fix the root cause, right? You create mm -hmm. a systemic fix. Obviously, we don't have a process to fix this issue because it's occurring. So we need a process. And so when you see a team running around with no strategic time, uh, responding to all sorts of low level things from their colleagues, which aren't really moving the needle for the company, uh, doing other people's work for them or whatever it is, then you have to think, well, what's the systemic fix here? Well, what can I start to do to fix this whole environment we work in? I love it. All four of these, plus the the sort of meta bold plan that we talked about are all, and the point you just made, they're really all getting at root cause sort of phenomenon. And I think that that's really important because uh, we're all making up as we go along. And I just remember the second thing I was going to say earlier, which is that I've spoken with a lot of people 
who talk with executives, they talk with, you know, CEOs, people in all these high ranking positions. And your story about mindset was almost like talking to a therapist, right? And and so often I think, and this this is related to what I was just going to say about the addressing deeper root causes, is that we sometimes make the mistake of thinking that business is this thing, right? That's a mm. series of boxes to check and that there's a formal process. And there's, But more often than not, it's a series of unseen things. It's a series of unspoken decisions or traumas or fears or different things. And I like that you've given a framework that you can kind of walk through to address different things, ask yourself questions, look through different things, find weak points, consistently reassess and and sort of kaizen your way into a better way in the future um, by addressing those root causes and kind of making the invisible visible. So I just want to call that out and appreciate that that, mm. that that struck me while we were talking about mindset, even though I forgot it, I just remembered it. Um, but that in this entire process, what we're talking about is a framework to get at root causes and deeper issues. Um, and I hope in the book, uh, I'm encouraging people to go and check out the book, but I, I hope in the book you're you're actually laying out as many of those different uh, questions to ask, things mm. to look at. Um, you mentioned even in the um, the mindset, some of the different types of mindsets. I think the more of those tools that we have, the better leaders are going to be in a position to have the tools they need to move things forward, make that impact and and actually achieve what it is they're trying to do. Yeah, it's right. I hesitated about writing the book on one level because I'm like, I don't want to be boxed in as this like, you know, time management guy or whatever. But but I realized, no, no, there's something unique here because it's fundamentally, I'm all about there's, there is your to-do list, but there's your to-be list as well. And this is actually about being a different kind of leader. Uh, having a few tools, practical tools, absolutely, right? We need those. But also fundamentally being that person with more influence, with a shifted mindset, right? Able to influence that culture. It's the being which actually creates the breakthroughs. Uh, because actually we need to be the kind of person that does make time for strategy to, to think and to work on the things that move the needle. And that's kind of why it excites me. And I say it's the first step, I think, on the journey that I have with all my clients is, is when they go, you know what? Yeah, I need to start to shift because I need to be the leader who's thinking about another level of focus. Yeah, I love it. And and I think people might look at the um, title of your book and think that it's purely about time. And while there is an element of time embedded in this, the fact that it's also the acronym around those different things that you're looking at, I think is a really nice double meaning. And hopefully people investigate it and don't just take it at, at, at its surface and think it's a time management book. Because I think as what you've explained with this framework, you're giving the tools to actually look deeper, not just in terms of kind of how we manage our time, but how we manage our time to think, which is a slightly different thing. Um, and I really, I, I appreciate that. So we're coming to the end of our time in this masterclass, and I wanted to sort of wrap up everything that we've talked about in a nice, neat little bow. So I think the first thing is if you could kind of um, say what you believe the key takeaway is of what you've written, of mm. what you think your work is about, and from people listening to this episode, what is the thing that you'd like that after listening to this, that they walk away with this episode and say, this episode was about, and and I this is what I got from it. Yeah. So for me, the goal is exponential impact, breakthroughs, and not incremental progress. The problem is the infinity trap, right? The fact that we're just overloaded, we don't have time to think, and we get tunnel vision, we get into superhero mode, but we're actually just on the treadmill, right? The solution is strategic time. We have to create time to think about, to get a new perspective, and then to work on the things that actually move the needle. And then 
there are these four areas we've just gone through, tactics, influence, mindset, environment. You need to find the one that you most need to work on. That's where the assessment that you mentioned comes in. Uh, and you could just dive into the right part of the book, for example, to work on that. Work on the thing that's going to make the most difference for you and then start to iterate. Once you've removed that barrier, you can move forward. And so for and me, the ultimate goal, yeah, is to be the leader, your leader who's fulfilling your potential in terms of the contribution that you can make in your organization and ultimately in the world. Well, I support the work that you're doing. I support the vision that you have and 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 the reasons why you got into it are very much aligned with uh, a lot of the reasons why I get into the work that I'm into. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. I appreciate um, you coming on and sharing it. Um, I want to give you a chance at this point to let people know one, where they can find you, where they can connect with you, where they can learn more, but also where you know students of this masterclass can go to learn more additional resources you'd recommend both ones by you and other mm. ones that you might recommend that that you think they should take in that will help them to become the kind of leader that they might hope to be sure so i've um i'll stick a number of these resources uh on my website at xquadrant.com slash uh shareable to make it easy um because there's a number of places so um you know there so there is making time for strategy that you can go to making time for as well and and find see the see the book there there's a little trailer video you can you can check out uh there's the there's the assessment that you can do there as well so i'd say that that's a great place to start because you can get a bit more about the book but also do the assessment and get your own score uh, if you want to connect with me uh linkedin is probably the best place i try to put something va valuable and uh hopefully some unique content there not quite every day it's getting there probably three four times a week um so that's a great place to connect uh i'd say just check out um, yeah, my website, xquadrant.com. And if you like podcasts, as I guess you do, because you're listening to this one, um, and the Impact Multiplier CEO podcast, I speak, I've spoken with uh, over a hundred of some of the world's most amazing uh, leaders on their own journey of multiplying impact, you know, what, where they've been, what the challenges have been and where they're going in the future with, with their with their businesses. So that's quite a fun, a fun listen to. Well. Excellent. I will put all of those in the show notes um, for everyone to be able to easily find and click. So if you're listening on whatever your podcast app is, you should be able to see in the show notes as you're listening to this links to uh, Richard's LinkedIn uh, to xquadrant.com slash shareable, as well as links for the book and links to everything else that uh, was just mentioned. So I want to, uh, again, thank you for coming on the show and sharing. Uh, I feel like we could have done like a three hour version of this, but we had to try and it's condense it to an hour. <laughs> I had so many follow-up questions and things, but um, you know, obviously we had to condense it today into an hour, but um, hopefully we'll have more conversations in the future. And for any of you out there listening, uh, so thankful that you continue to give your time and attention to shareable, uh, make sure to link, look in the show notes for links to connect with me as well. If you haven't subscribed yet, do that rate the show five stars on iTunes, do all those cool things. Um, and, uh, aside from that, I, I guess I got to close out by saying how I would describe this episode. And if I had to describe it in, I guess one word, I guess I would say it's shareable. So tell me what was most valuable or useful for you in this episode, send me a message or hit me up on social media. I'm easy to find, but there's links in the show notes just to make it easy. Seriously, I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple things you could do, starting with subscribing to the show. And after that, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show five stars and leave a review. Consider sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. Or just buy me a latte or an old-fashioned by hitting up that tip jar. If you're looking for a good book to read, may I suggest The Lovable Leader? which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. It's built exclusively 
for brand new managers, and it's a handbook that will serve you well in your journey of leadership. Just search for Lovable Leader wherever books are sold online. And finally, if you're interested in working with me or checking out any of my other projects, go to jgibbard.com. That link, as well as every other link mentioned, will be found in the show notes. Stay safe, be kind, and seriously, share this episode with someone. I'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.